Hey, I want to say a special thanks to our friends at AACF for helping us lead in worship. Can we thank the worship team as a whole this morning for leading us here today? Thank you. Thank you. Hey, um, just as a, as a brief side note, um, you know, here, here at ACF, if you don't know this already, here at ACF, we consider ourselves to be a church. Uh, a, a single unit, the, the body of Christ. And now what that means is regardless of the campus ministry that you associate with, if you're here with us on Sundays, we consider you to be part of the family of God here at ACF, here on campus. We consider ourselves to be the collective body of Christ. And so, listen, if you have areas of, of passion and areas of giftedness that you feel would contribute to the life of the body of Christ here on Sunday mornings, we would love for you to consider giving in that way. Consider giving. Listen, we have Sunday offerings here every Sunday, and you say, man, I, I got nothing in my pockets. I'm broke as all, all get out. We, you don't have to give in that way. If you have areas of passion that you want to give, we ask that you might consider giving in those ways, whether it's greeting folks at the door. If you've been told, man, I love, I love when you say hello to me. I love when you, when you greet me. Those are the kinds of people we want at the door, not grumpy old men saying hello at the night. Not that we have those. I'm just saying, if, you, if that's something that you're like, man, I, I feel like I could give that way, or if you feel like you can give by helping us lead in worship, or if you want to help it with, with some of the media needs that we have and, and some of the uh, setup and teardown needs that we have every week. We're a mobile church, so that means we set up and tear down every single week. You can give, you can find all different ways to contribute to the life of our church. And so bottom line, we, we want every single person here to be an active contributing member. And uh, we got a little glimpse of that with our brothers and sisters at AACF uh, serving us in, in this capacity of lead, leading us in worship. So thanks again for that, you guys. Appreciate that. Well, last week, if you were here, not here in this room, because we weren't here in this room, if you were in Heritage Hall, uh, last week, Pastor Aaron came and spoke on the subject of lust. Now, for those of you who don't know who Pastor Aaron is, he is my boss, and he is also the lead pastor of the State College Alliance Church, which uh, we are a ministry out of. Uh, ACF was planted 40-plus years ago by the State College Alliance Church uh, here on campus. And Pastor Aaron uh, came and spoke on the subject of lust. And if you missed that message, I want to encourage you to watch it on our website or catch it on iTunes. It was a phenomenal message on examining our sexual ethics and, and, and examining how we approach this issue of lust, which Pastor Aaron defined lust as this ever-longing but never-satisfied feeling. Lust is this ever-longing but never-satisfied feeling. Feeling, And he spent some time looking at the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. I'm not going to um, unpack what he said. Uh, I just go, encourage you to look back on our website to, to hear what he said there. But we're going to pick up where he left off in Matthew 5, uh, picking up from verse 31. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll have some folks coming around. They'll get one of these Bibles to you. If you're following along with us in these hardback Bibles, we are on page 810, 810. 10 is where we are in these Bibles. And um, we're going to pick up from Matthew 5, verse 31. And today, we're, we're going to cover not one topic, but two topics in the Sermon on the Mount. And those two topics are divorce and oaths. I know you can't wait to dive into this message, right? Like, like, tell me what I need to know about divorce and oaths. I know this is the part of the sermon you've all been waiting for, right? Salt and light, cool, that's cool. I want to talk about divorce and oaths. Now, regardless of how you are coming in, 
whatever lens you are reading this text with here this morning, I pray that we would read it with open eyes, open hearts, because I believe God has something for us, even on these two topics, such as divorce and oaths. Let's read what Jesus has to say to us here this morning. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, we'll put the text up here on the screen as well. Matthew 5, pick me up at verse 31, and we'll carry through to verse 37. This is Jesus preaching these words in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and here's what he has to say next. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, That everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, that's all he has to say about the subject of divorce. Now, he then shifts gears and moves into the subject of oaths. And he continues on, and in verse 33, he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no, Anything more than this comes from evil. You know, one of the challenges of preaching expositionally or expository, which means taking a portion of scripture and really working through it, is that you come across passages like this. And you can't really avoid the tough parts of the Bible when you're working through a portion of scripture. It's not, it wouldn't be fair for us to say we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount except the parts that we don't really know what to do with, right? Like, and that's one of the challenges of going through a series like this. And the average preacher, when they come to a passage like this, would avoid preaching this text. And they would say, yeah, you know, all scripture is inspired by God, but we're just not gonna talk about it on Sundays, you know? We're just not gonna preach on it on Sundays. Well, I am not your average preacher, okay? Uh, we're gonna de- dig de- deep into this. And even furthermore, the average Bible reader, many of us might come to a passage like this and say, oaths, to, you know, sworn by, you know, Jerusalem, the city of the great king, oath by your head, make, like what, what is Jesus saying here? And we're inclined to just kind of skim over it and without giving it a second thought. But friends, would you know that every part of the Bible is significant? 2 Timothy 3.16, with all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for the building up of the good of man. And so these these words in, in our Bible that we have in our holy scriptures, they weren't put in here haphazardly. They weren't put in here accidentally. Now, when it comes to certain passages, we may have to dig a little bit deeper to uncover the meaning of the text. And that's what I like to do with this passage here this morning. Now, In order to uncover the meaning behind the text here for today, we're going to need some background and context, particularly when it comes to these two subjects like divorce and oaths. Now, we all understand the concept of a divorce. In fact, for some of us who come from divorced homes and homes where your parents are divorced, friends, just hear me for a quick moment. I want to approach this subject with a great deal of sensitivity. 
I don't know your personal story or your personal background. Maybe you came from a line of divorce where it just ripped your family to shreds and it took a real toll on your family life, maybe even on your upbringing. I want to stay incredibly sensitive to that and I don't want to diminish that or minimize your story or your upbringing in any way. With that said, I want to take into account the words of Jesus because how many of you know the words of Christ has got to trump our personal experiences at every moment? Not that our personal experiences don't matter, but we've got to learn to filter our personal experiences through the living word of God, right? And so, that's the, so I want to stay sensitive to that, but I also want to, want to give weight to, to the words of Christ. So when it comes to divorce, the Bible speaks pretty clearly and strongly against divorce, in fact, in the scriptures, it, the Bible really only gives us one grounds for divorce, and that is infidelity or adultery. Now, this stems all the way back to the Old Testament, where the law said that if a married person was caught in adultery, if a married person was, 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 was uh, um, cheating on his or her spouse, they were to be stoned to death. They were to be stoned to death. Now, this was to signify not just, not just the, the um, this wasn't a law to, to keep people in line, but this was a law put in place to highlight the sanctity and the permanence of marriage, which might I add, most people who get married today take too casual of a view of marriage. I like this person. I want to spend the rest of their life, my life with them, so I think I'm going to tie the knob. We'll go ahead and get married. We have a far too casual view, and in the Old Testament, they, they, they didn't have that perspective of marriage. There was a sanctity and a permanence to, the con, to, to, this, to, this, to this covenant of marriage that was binding, so much so that a violator of this covenant was seen as an, as an offense, of, offendable to, to, in the eyes of God and in the, in the economy of heaven, so much so that they were to be stoned to death. They were to be put to death. Now, as a newly widowed spouse, the law said it was only in this case that you were permitted to remarry because your spouse is dead now and now you are widowed. And so in this exclusive situation, were you, to, were you to, uh, allowed to be married if you chose to do so? Now fast forward to the New Testament. The death penalty for infidelity was lifted under the Roman government. People were no longer being stoned to death, but Jesus maintained, he maintained the grounds for divorce as only and exclusively being adultery, so much so that he says, if you divorce your wife, apart from this one single viable reason, then you and whomever you remarry would be committing adultery. Now, we're going to see why this is significant in just a little bit. Now, as far as oaths go, let me shift gears and look at, look at oaths. According to the Old Testament, a true oath was one that was made under God. All right, just, just track with me. This is all going to some place, but track with me for now. The true oaths were oaths that were made under God. In other words, the only oaths that truly counted were ones where you swore by God. And so when someone made, made an, an oath or, or used this specific formula and said, I swear by God, or I make this oath under God, those were the only oaths that were binding according to the Mosaic law. Now, in the New Testament, the Pharisees and the religious leaders found a loophole to the system. They found a loophole to the system. By the way, the religious leaders were famous for this, finding loopholes for the system. 
They were people who were supposed to abide by every, every dot and every, every little jot of, of the law, but they had a way of finding all these loopholes to the system so that they can appear holy, but not actually live to the measurements and the standards of holiness. And so they found a loophole to the system. They said, okay, so, so we won't make oaths under God. Rather, we'll swear by heaven or we'll swear by the earth. Or we'll swear by Jerusalem. Heck, we'll swear by our own head. That way, if we can't fulfill the oath, we're not bound to it. Because we're not swearing by God. We're swearing by heaven, Jerusalem, the earth, all these things. We're not swearing by God. So, we have a back door. We'll have an exit plan. If we can't fulfill these oaths or these promises, we have an out. In other words, if things get too hard... We've got an out. Now hold that concept and hold that construct in your head for just a moment. If things get too hard, we've got an out. This is the same issue that Jesus was addressing with divorce just moments before. You see, Jesus was addressing this very mindset of if things get too hard, we've got an out, in, particularly in the marriage relationship. He said, hold on, not so fast. Hold on, not so fast. The only way you've got an out is if your spouse was unfaithful to you. That's the only way you've got an out. Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except, except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Now, in both cases, whether Jesus is talking about divorce or oaths, the issue that Jesus is addressing is the same. He is addressing this mindset that was prevalent not just in his time, but that is so prevalent and seen in our time here today. How many times do we see this mindset of if things get too hard, I'm bouncing. It's, if things get too difficult, I'm out. This is the same mindset that Jesus was addressing over 2,000 years ago that I believe he wants to address today. If things get too hard, we've got an out. If things get too hard, we've got an out. If marriage gets a little too hard, we've got an out. If we can't fulfill the oaths and the promises that we've made, we've got an out. Now, how do we bring this home to us today? Jesus said these words over 2,000 years ago to an ancient audience. How do we make this connect to us here? What are we to make all of this here today? Now, I realize I'm talking to a room full of college students, mostly. Some of you are not, but mostly college students, on the subject of divorce, of which I'm guessing not many of us are currently facing right now at this current season of your life. At least I hope not. And furthermore, I hope that you will never have to face a situation like divorce ever in your life. But I realize at this particular moment in your life, divorce ain't a thing. It's just not a thing. And additionally, on the subject of oaths, which seems to most of us like we don't even use that word unless you're standing in court, right? Like we just, we don't use the construct of oaths in our modern day society. It seems like an Old Testament construct altogether. And so what are we to make of all of this? What is Jesus trying to say to us? Well, believe it or not, I actually believe God has something to say to us through this passage, particularly when it comes to this mindset of if things get too hard, we've got an out. When we look at today's passage, I see two things that Jesus is trying to say to us. 
not three. This isn't a three-point sermon. This is just gonna be two, right? There are two things that I believe Jesus is saying to us. I believe, number one, that Jesus is saying to us, consider your commitments. Consider your commitments. Now, in this passage, Jesus is saying, consider your commitments when you're considering divorce. Consider your commitments when you're making these oaths. Consider your commitments because in life, church, your commitments actually mean something. They actually matter. Listen, when a couple stands at the altar on their wedding day and they share their vows, you know, and it's in the, you know, the, the, the venue is beautiful, the day is beautiful, and, it, you know, it just couldn't be more perfect. And they're sharing their vows with one another. The bride and groom are standing there. It's their magical moment. And the efficient, the minister says, repeat after me. And they repeat and they share their vows or they share their personal, personal vows. And these words when they speak these words, I want you to know they actually mean something. When they say, I promise to have and to hold you from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part according to God's holy word. Here too, I pledge myself to thee. Those words actually mean something. Now listen, you'll never see a footnote <laughs> At the end of a wedding vow that says, hey, husband, hey, wife, I promise all of these things to you, except on the days when you become a real pain in my neck. Then I rescind these vows. You'll never see an asterisk at the end of a vow that says, I commit, to, I commit all of these things to you, and I commit to you in all of these ways until things get hard. And then I'm out. I mean, can you imagine just how awkward that moment would be on a wedding day? Like, you know, like, I promise to love and to cherish you. Except when you become a real pain. You know, when you don't put the dishes away the way I want it done. When you don't take out the trash on the days that it's supposed to. When you don't wipe my kid's butt the way, you know, like, when I'm, when I'm left doing everything, I'm out. I'm out. You know, like, I, we don't, you don't hear that on wedding days. These commitments that are spoken on these weddings, they actually mean something. Jesus says, listen, apart from sexual immorality in a marriage covenant, there is nothing that says you are out apart from infidelity. You can't bail. You can't bail. So you better consider your commitments. Now, we see that, we clearly see that in a, in a marriage day in a, between a husband and wife. For those of us who, who you know, for, for Jesus says now, to those of you who are making oaths by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem, you want to know Jesus' message? It's real simple. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop making these oaths altogether that you're not committed to keeping in the first place. Oh, and by the way, did you know that heaven is the throne of God and earth is his footstool? And Jerusalem is a city of God. And so you think you're getting away by making all these oaths that are not binding. Hey, guess what? They all belong to God anyway. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to him. And so when you're making these oaths and you think you're getting away with it, guess what, Pharisees? Guess what, religious leaders? These are still binding under God. Stop making these sacred and secular divides. Some of us need to stop, throw away our hats. Some of us, when we, when we go into certain contexts, we put on our Christian hat. 
We put on our follower of Jesus hat. We put on our holy roller hat. And sometimes we put it even backwards, just to look cool. Like we put on our holy roller hat, right? Like we come in rolling and we're like, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And then you put on your party hat, get lit hat, you know, just get lit. And you put on whatever hat you might have. Whatever you guys have, we, we, some of us have a whole closet full of hats. What that does is we, we create this division of a sacred and secular divide. That's what people in the New Testament were doing. And Jesus says, stop making this division of a sacred and secular divide. Everything belongs to God in the first place. And stop making these oaths that you think you're getting away with. So carefully, carefully consider your commitments. Now, Church, let me be real here. I can't think of a non, more non-committal generation than this current generation of millennials. I can't, and, and, and by millennials, let me just clump my, let, let me lump myself into your generation because one, I don't consider myself that much older than you, okay, or that, that's what I keep telling myself, okay. But number two, number two, I have commitment issues, I know that. And so I, I'm, I'm with you, and maybe for some of you, you know you've got commitment issues. You know it. In fact, let me take a quick survey in this room. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise your hands. I'm not calling anyone out or anything like that, but just keep a mental inventory. Let me ask you just a couple of quick questions here. How many of you, how many of you in the last, let's just say, week or two, a couple of weeks, how many of you have canceled a meeting on someone? A meeting that you were supposed to have, but for whatever reason, you had to cancel it. Uh, you know, and I'm not looking for reasons or rationale, but you know, whatever the reason was, you had to cancel it. You had to shot him a text message, shot him a Facebook note. Hey, I can't come to this. Sorry. Or how about this? Let, let, let's flip this. How many of you have had someone cancel on you? How many of you had, had someone cancel on you, right? Uh, Follow-up question. How many of you were relieved when they canceled on you? Right, you're like, oh man, I just I wasn't down. I wasn't ready to meet with them. I just got too much on my plate. I can't. I don't. I don't have time to, for them to. I just didn't feel like meeting with them. How many? Uh, how many of you had that happen to you? Right. All right. How about this? How many of you are gener- How many of you generally decide on your plans at the very last minute? You're like, don't don't count on me. I don't know if I'm going to be there because I'm just going to decide on the very last minute. Maybe for you, you don't like to commit to anything until you see how you're feeling in the moment. Right? I'm just going to feel it out. You know, oftentimes I'll hear people say, hey, man, I thought you were coming to this thing. I thought, yeah, I thought I was going to see you. And you say, oftentimes the response is, yeah, 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 you know, I was actually going to come, but I just wasn't feeling it. I, I just didn't feel like it, right? I, I often hear that. You decide on your plans at the very last minute. How many of you have said that you were going to do something but never follow through with it? You just never follow through. If you have answered any of those questions with, yeah, that's, that's me, that's me, I, I, I've done that, chances are you've got commitment issues. Now, here's why this is important. We're talking about this not because it's important that you show up to your scheduled meetings or you stick to your plans that you've made, which, by the way, those are important life principles, people. If you say you're going to be somewhere, be there, okay? Don't just flip the script just because you don't feel like it. That's, that's, that's so lame. I mean, I don't even understand that. Like, it, just, just show up and stick to your commitments. You know, back where I'm from, we used to have a common saying, my word is bond. You know, how many, you, you, some of you have said that, right? Like, you know, back in the, yo, my word is bond, son. Like, you could, you could count on me, right? Like, that's what we would say. What does that mean? What does that mean? For those of you who are like, you, you know what that means. That means my word, I'm, my, that means my word is good. 
My word is good. In fact, you could take it to the bank and cash it in because I'm good for it. My word is good. I, if I'm going to say I'm going to do something, I stand by you through thick and thin, through any up and down. I'm good for it. You can count on my word because my word actually means something. My word means something. You see, the reason why we need to consider our commitments is because if we fail to follow through on our commitments relationally to one another, if we fail to see through the commitments that we make in our lives and in our, in our plans, what do you think you will do with your commitment when it comes to following after Jesus? Give, give that some serious thought. Because right now, today, you cannot tell me yeah, I'm flaky in all areas of my life except my relationship with Christ. You can't. I know I can't. Listen, if we struggle with considering our commitments and really considering and weighing our commitments, the question is, what are you going to do when it comes to your commitment to following after Jesus? Friends, I don't know if you know this. Those of you who identify yourselves as followers of Jesus, you ought to know that at one point or another in your life, you made a commitment. You made a commitment. You made a commitment to follow Jesus through thick and thin, through every up and down, through every valley low and every mountain high, through every trial and hardships and tribulation. You made this commitment that said, Jesus, my word is bond. I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me, however you choose to do so. I'm good by my word and I'm good by my commitment. But you see, without us considering our commitments, we will be inclined to be a people who say, Jesus, I'm with you. Until things get a little hard for me, then I'm out. When things start getting a little inconvenient or when following you inconveniences me or brings my life discomfort, I'm going to have to bail out. Jesus, I'm with you until things get a little dicey for me. Jesus, if I'm not feeling it, I ain't down to follow. If I'm not feeling it in the moment, I'm not following. And Jesus says to us this morning, church, would you consider your commitments? Consider your commitments. Because your commitments actually mean something. You're actually, when it comes to the kingdom way, your words of commitment actually matter. And when we fail to consider our commitments, the chances are it will have a significant bearing on our spiritual walks with God. Now, this leads us to the second thing I think Jesus is trying to tell us here through this passage. After considering our commitments, you need to, number two, commit to a life of integrity. Commit to a life of integrity. You see, that's the very thing that Jesus was addressing with his listeners during this time, the sheer lack of integrity in people's lives. You know what a failed commitment speaks to? A failed commitment speaks to a lack of integrity. That's what, that's what that speaks to. People during this time, during Jesus' time, were getting divorced and forsaking their vows and their commitment to each other because things got hard in their marriage. People were making oaths and promises that they had no intentions of keeping. And Jesus was saying, hey, consider your commitments because your commitments matter. But after you've considered your commitments, examine, examine deeply your integrity. Examine your integrity. 
In fact, it seems as though Jesus is saying a fully committed life is a life of integrity. And a life of integrity is a fully committed life. Not this half committed, sort of committed, I'm sort of in, sort of out. Not committed only when it's easy and convenient for me. But a life of integrity is a fully committed life. And so Jesus says, hey, if you're going to commit to anything, church, let it be a life of integrity. A life of integrity. But the question is, what does the life of integrity look like? What does the life of integrity look like after all? I want to point out the three T's of integrity, and here's kind of how we'll, we'll bring this plane down on the landing strip. I want to point out the three T's of integrity, and these are three specific qualities that are exhibited in the life of a person of integrity. The first is this. A person of integrity will be transparent. A person of integrity will be transparent. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, let there be no clouding of your words or your intentions. Don't say yes if you mean no and don't say no if you mean yes. You see, a person of integrity shows a certain level of transparency where you never have to wonder where they stand. You have people in your life where you're like, I know them, but I don't really know where they stand. Right, like, like I never really know because they're a closed book. They, they just kind of keep to themselves. And you're like, they come around our fellowship. They come around our, our group. They're, they're, they're part of our group meet chat, you know, but I don't really ever really know where they stand. They like do the heart thing, you know, like and all of that, but I don't still really don't know where they stand. You know, like you have people like that. You see a person of integrity, you never have to wonder where they stand. Rather, it's clear because there is a congruence of what they feel on the inside to what they say on the outside. With a person of integrity, a person of integrity will always exhibit a congruence of what they feel on the inside with what they say on the outside. You never have to wonder because their yeses are always yes and their noes are always no. They never cloud their words. They never cloud their intentions. There is a level of transparency wherever they show up. That's a person of integrity. Number two, a person of integrity will be truthful. Will be truthful. You see, people of integrity don't lie. They don't lie. They don't lie in order to seek self-benefit or self-advancement. They don't lie to mask themselves in false righteousness to appear better on the outside. They don't lie even if it would be the easier way out. There are so many times when, when, when I'm meeting with students and, and they say, you know, can I just say this to, my, to, 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 to this person that I'm in conflict with? No, because that's not the truth. You're taking the easy way out. Uh, but but can, can I do this instead? Can I say this instead? Yeah, no, but that's, you're, you're not being truthful. You're not being honest. Yeah, but to be truthful, that's just, that's just so hard. It's uncomfortable. It's not easy, and it's, it's going to offend them. Okay, but it's the truth, is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, a person of integrity doesn't lie because it's the easier thing to do. They always seek to tell the truth. You see, that's what the religious leaders were doing during this time here in this passage. They were making oaths and promises to make themselves look greater and holier than they actually were. They were taking the easy way out. I swear by heaven, I swear by earth, I swear by Jerusalem, they were taking the easy way out. But these were all empty oaths at the end of the day. They're all empty oaths to which Jesus says, stop making these oaths altogether. You see, in the Old Testament, you had to make these oaths under God. In the New Testament, Jesus says, stop making oaths altogether. You see, you got to understand, you got to hear the words of Jesus and hear the heartbeat of Jesus. He's not against oaths. 
Heck, you know, Jesus, Jesus grew up in a Jewish tradition and a Jewish culture where oaths were a part of the, part of the, the, the Jewish heritage. Oaths were part of everyday life, right? They, that was a thing. So he wasn't saying, hey, you guys lived by these oaths all these years and all these centuries and all these. Now, now do away with oaths. Because right here in Matthew 5, Jesus says, stop making oaths altogether, right? So what is Jesus saying here? What's the heart of what Jesus is saying? Yet again, if you've been tracking with us in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is yet again raising the bar. He is raising the bar. And he's saying, I don't want your words to be validated by an oath. Hey, you ever hear people say something immediately by, I swear, it's true. Right? Like, I, I, hey, you know, th- this happened. I, I, I swear to God, it happened. I, I swear on my mother's grave, it happened. I swear, that, you know, like, you're swearing by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, by all these that are swearing on you. Like, I swear. Jesus is saying, your words should not need to be validated by an oath. Rather, I want your words to stand on their own because what you say is truth. Not that you need to validate your words and verify your words by way of an oath. You see, that's what, the, that, that's what these people were doing. Hey, I'm making the statement. I'm making the statement of commitment. I'm making this statement of promise. And I promise I'm going to fulfill that by this oath. Jesus says, no, your words should be able to stand on their own without, apart from an oath. And so do away with oaths. I want you to live your life as if every word that comes from your mouth is truth-filled so that it doesn't need a prerequisite of I swear what I'm saying is true. What you say should be truthful no matter what. A person of integrity will always be truthful. Number three, and lastly, a person of integrity will be trustworthy. Will be trustworthy. Now listen, when a person is transparent, And when a person is truthful, it will make them trustworthy. When you are transparent and when you are truthful, it will make you a trustworthy person. You want to know the quickest way to earn someone's trust? Be fully transparent wherever you're at and always speak the truth no matter how hard it is. That is the quickest way you earn credibility and trust with people. You're transparent with wherever you're at, and you always speak the truth even when it's hard. People tend to trust and follow those who are honest with themselves and honest with others. People of integrity are trustworthy. You see, friends, the kingdom way is not about bailing when things get hard. Because in life, things will get hard. Things will get hard. I promise you there's no question about it. But the difference between the kingdom way and the worldly way is a kingdom way person follows through on their commitment, especially when things get hard. Not even when things get hard, especially when things get hard because they have carefully considered their commitments. Because they realize their commitments actually mean something because they live by the philosophy, my word is bond. My, actual, my, my words actually mean something. When I say that I'm going to do something, I intend to do it. I'm not flaky. You see, the worldly way is flaky. The kingdom way is sturdy. You stand on your word. You stand on your word. You have carefully considered your commitments. And after you have done so, the, the, the people who walk in the kingdom way, those of us who walk in the kingdom way are committed to living this life of integrity that is represented by a transparency, that is represented by truthfulness, that is represented by trustworthiness. 
So yes, you're not here today and you're not facing a divorce. I realize that. And you're not making any kind of Old Testament fashion oath. None of us are walking around campus making these grand Old Testament oaths or anything like that. You know, we're not, I don't see any of that happening. Yes, we're not faced with divorce or oaths. Rather, what you have before you is an invitation. That's what I want us to see, church. I want us to see that what we have before us is an invitation. And that invitation is, will you jump ship when things get hard? Or will you lean into Christ and the hope he has for you and commit no matter what to run after him? Will you commit to that? Now look, I know that at this point in this semester, we're kind of approaching, you know, Thanksgiving break is, is, is on the horizon and, and, and we're anxiously awaiting the end and the conclusion of this semester. And some of us might be like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm wiped. I got nothing else in the tank. And for some of us, that's translating over into our spiritual walks with God and our journeys with the Lord. It's not just academically, it's not just, just schedule-wise and, and responsibilities, it's even translating into your walks with God and your passion and zeal in going after Jesus. You say, man, I just, I don't know if I got much in the tank. You want to know the great news about the gospel? You want to know the good news of the kingdom way? The kingdom way speaks of a fountain that never runs dry. Speaks of a well that never runs dry. And so, yes, in these moments of feeling like I got nothing else in the tank, your inclination and your kind of propensity might be to wave the white flag and say, I'm out, I'm out. But would you consider the invitation of Jesus here this morning? Are you gonna jump ship when things get hard? Are you gonna jump ship when you're not feeling it? Are you gonna cancel plans with me just because you're not feeling it in the moment? Or... Are you going to lean in even more so today? Friends, there are times when I don't feel like worshiping and I force myself to get there. there, there there's a reason why the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Sometimes you got to tell your soul what to do before you feel like doing it. And so the question is, are you going to jump ship when things get hard or are you going to lean in and look to the Christ of hope? and put your hope in him. My hope is that you would do the latter.